When you're at work, how common is it for you to be having a conversation with someone and get the sense that they don't know what you do or, more importantly, what the value is of your work to the company? Kind of often, right? That's why this, the sixth episode of The Brand Plan, Marcus and I talk about how to talk about employer brand to everybody. That includes the CEO, the head of marketing, the head of HR, everybody. Because every audience who might be excited and interesting and a potential obstacle to your employer brand project needs to understand what you're doing in slightly different ways. You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy with your hosts, Marcus Body of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs. Hey, Marcus. Hey, James. How are you doing? I'm good. How's your week been? It's been a busy week, actually. It's uh, it's busy times in the UK. I know a lot of my uh, my UK colleagues are off at Rackfest and doing things, and I know that's coming to the US soon. So, uh, but I'm I'm still in London, uh, busy doing some client work at the moment. So I couldn't go to that. <laughs> actually, I, uh, interestingly, I'll be at the the Rackfest in the US in Nashville in September. So, um, Marcus won't won't be able to make it. We'll, we'll, we'll next year. I think next year we'll find a way to do. Absolutely. If Chad and Cheese can host a stage, why can't James and Marcus? Why not? It seems I think reasonable. so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this week, uh, not to do all things Rockfest, but this week, uh, one of the challenges we've faced personally, professionally in our lives, we've seen other people face it, is this idea of explaining employer brand and more specifically, explaining it to particular people, even more specifically, explaining it to people with some money, <laughs> whether they're yeah. purse strings or internal budget or external budget or whatever that is. And that is a conversation around what is the work, who is it for, what is the impact, what is the value, all of those kinds of things are kind of tied up in these ideas. And that's, you know, the topic to the week. What's not what's French what's French for a week? I don't remember. Uh summer, something like that, I think. There you right. go. There you go. Your French is Very. way better than mine dodgy memories of that from many years ago yeah and, and I think this is this is a really important one right because there's a there's a bunch of people who you need to get to sign off some money but there's some other people who aren't going to do that but could just get in your way if they don't mm -hmm. buy what you're doing and they don't kind of get what why it's important they could you know either fail to help you or even worse they could actively try and prevent you from doing what you're doing yeah unless you're able to engage with them and if you try and use the same explanation for everyone, it's not going to work. There's, there's different explanations for different people. And I think there's there's a bunch of stuff we can talk about during this episode about, right, how do I justify what I'm doing? And sometimes it's the business case, but sometimes it's not the business case. Yes. And actually, that's a really bad approach to take. Um, so, you know, I guess we'll, we'll just kind of try and share some experiences of what we've learned by trial and error works with different kinds of people and some thoughts about what will and won't convince them. Because yeah. I think, you know, it, it's sometimes it's amazingly easy to get approval and sometimes it isn't. It's going to take you longer than to do the whole project to get everyone to agree that the project should be done. And I've certainly known people who've mm -hmm. found that case. Totally. Do you want to start at the top or do you want to start at the bottom? I think I think the top's quite interesting because I think that's where you have to get really succinct. So okay. by at the top, I mean the CEO or the owner or exact the partners, team. if you're in that kind of environment, mm -hmm. or the exec team. or And it's kind of people who probably, this isn't coming out of their budget because they're even above that level. This is a more senior level than you're actually asking them specifically for some money. But it's mm -hmm. more that kind of person who might, go, why do we employ you? What, what is this thing that's going on? Employer branding, why, why, why is that a thing that we should care about? Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of almost more of an existential thing of why is this something that matters at all? And how do you get them to think about that? Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting one to start. Do you, do you want me to start or are you going to start? Yeah, I mean, let, yeah, we, yeah, you get, get, a, get us kick-started and uh, we'll see where it goes. Sure. I think a really interesting one I'd start with is years ago, I was working with um, a big fashion retailer in the UK that's a family owned business. And the, the the family who own it are kind of famously reclusive. They don't give public interviews and things like this. And I was 
told, right, you've got a meeting with the CEO who never speaks to anyone and he's going to come in and he's going to ask you, who are you and what am I doing in this meeting room? And I was in their headquarters and he walked in and he literally said, who are you and what am I doing in this meeting room? And I had to look him in the eye and say, do you know why people should work for you rather than your competitors? And he said, no. And he pulled the chair out and sat down. And that was there it. You go. That, that yeah. was the thing he needed to be asked. But I'd been prepared for that. So I'd, I'd had a lot of thought about what's my one liner about why he should waste the next half an hour talking to me or rather not waste the next half an hour talking to me. And he yeah. was like, yeah, that's a question I'm interested in. That's something I, what could have been a bad answer is if I'd started going, did you know that 34% of employer brand projects reduce? No, I'd have lost him. That's, that's not something that's going to work with someone at that level. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes you should think in terms of what's a way of phrasing this into a question they would find interesting to answer mm -hmm. rather than trying to hit them with your knowledge. That doesn't yeah. tend to go very well with these really senior people. How about yourself? What, what do you find works with those kind of senior yeah. stakeholders? Yeah, there's two, two parts to that for me. I think you, you hit on the first one, and that is succinctness. And that is... In the end, for people at this level, money is free, time is yeah. incredibly finite, and every second you get in front of these people matters. Like if you did the math on what their value per second is, you would you'd blanch, and that usually <laughs> freaks most people out. You know, they're walking in that room and going, yeah, yeah. Ah, ah, and they panic, and they get you know deer in the headlights. So I think starting with a question that gets to the heart of this idea of look, it's all about helping create an informed choice, and I think framing yeah. it in a question makes a lot of sense. There's a really good book I read called um, Why the Boss Should Listen to You, and Right. One of the compelling ideas was it's written by a consultant and, you know, he had this, you know, the, the preamble is I had this conversation with someone who picked me up at the airport for a, for a job and she was really mad at me because she thought she should be telling the boss what to do. And the boss went, I'm going to hire this guy and have him tell me what to do. And the conversation is framed around these two people have ref relatively similar experience sets, skill sets, focuses. It's the person who can be succinct, the person who can speak to meaning, the person who can speak to value, who can speak to obstacles and challenges, is the person who gets listened to. Yes. Where employer branding falls down is because we, look, nobody gets into employer branding who's kind of half in it. We kind of love it. We kind of are semi-obsessed with it. It's kind of disgusting how we live and, you know, we're all addicts, we're all junkies looking for the next fix. We are so... Yeah desperate to show our knowledge, to show our skill set, to show the value that we do a whole song and dance when we should be thinking in haiku. And I think that is the key Absolutely. part of it. So a, a former boss of mine um, said to me many years ago, for this kind of audience, actually imagine explaining it to a really intelligent but slightly bored 11 year old, because that that is the time poor. If you don't get this across to me in in 10 seconds, I'm not listening yeah. anymore. I'm off to do something more important. And you're so right. It's their time that is at premium. I think particularly with this audience, resist fiercely the temptation to either tell them what you're going to do or mm -hmm. what you've already done. There's yep. such a temptation to talk them through your project plan. They don't care. You've lost them. That's too much detail. That's not what yep. they're for. They need to know why what you're doing exists. Why, why is employer branding even a thing? And very often they're quite conditioned. These really senior people are quite conditioned to think in terms of competitors. So actually framing it with direct competitors That's a great is not point. a bad simplification to make. Even though we know in reality it's more complicated than that because you're not just going to hire from your competitors. You're going to hire from other places. Keep it simple. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, so if I was you know, talking to my most senior stakeholder at EY, I want to use the word Deloitte. You know, if I'm working for a, you know, in the same in every single sector, you want to pick yeah. the competitors that are going to go, yeah, actually, we want to beat them at this, don't we? That's yeah. how you yeah. capture them. With, where the hairs go in the back of their neck. They're like, oh, yeah, that's that's the moment you're like, okay, that's that's the thread to kind of follow. Exactly, exactly. And those people, you know, you're not really necessarily asking anything from them other than a kind of smile and a nod and a benevolent kind of, you know. Yeah. A wave of the hand that might be all you need them to do actually sometimes they get really involved so i've, I've had i can certainly think of a, a global law firm i was working with where the senior partner deigned to give me sort of 10 minutes to talk about this but actually we ended up being on the phone for an hour because as soon as i'd asked that 
crucial question. He was like, yeah. oh, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Actually, why should they come here rather than that firm over there? Actually, I started at that firm over there. Why should I have started here? He got really into that question. And he didn't know what the answer was, but he was very interested that, that he should have one or that someone working for him should have one. And so I think that's it's a good way of getting them thinking about it without you don't need PowerPoint slides. You need a question. Yeah, exactly. The other part of it is, is that more than anybody else in the company, your work is going to be as close a reflection on their work as anybody yeah. else. This is their baby. Completely. This is their child. If they're a founder, especially, even if they're quote unquote yeah, just yeah, a yeah. CEO or just a board member, this is their life's work. This is the thing. Like they're not getting another CEO job after this. Chances are, this Definitely. is it. They are done. This is legacy time. And do not mess with that. And so you have to couch things in terms of this is how you help support that idea. Uh, you're, yeah. Sorry, you were going to say something. No, no, I was just going to say. I think you're so right. It's one of the few things that genuinely is reserved to them because, you know, how efficiently the business is operating is probably the chief operations officer and how this particular division is running is down to the head of that division or this particular country is down to the MD of that particular country. The CEO, this is one of the few things that is definitely still there. I mean, it's, it's stakeholder and shareholder relations potentially mm -hmm. and, you know, external PR, but also staff as a big group and how that kind of works. This is one of the things that's definitely them, I think. So, you know, I, I would sort of say this is this is something that they tend to get quite excited about. And your CEO is probably the most likely person to stand up at a conference and say things like people are our most important asset, right? Yeah. They are the people who come out with that phrase. Well, okay, mm -hmm. that means this is a thing that they're interested in. Let's try and tune into that. Yeah, I mean, remember they, when they die, the top line of their obit is going to be former CEO of wherever. This is yeah. the capstone of what they're doing. Now, if you build a brand or intend to build a brand that yeah. is at odds with how they think about their own child, you're yeah, yeah, in yeah. for a world of hurt. You are in for some pain and these conversations are ugly and messy and you walk in with zero power. Even if you're right, yeah. even if you're a thousand percent right, it has to be framed and this is, I had a, a situation where I was working in-house and I had built this brand and the head of TA said, great, I love this. Let's go hire a consultant to read this out to the CEO. And I said, okay, I'm gonna take a, I'm, I'm gonna take a little offense to that, ma'am, uh, but why? And she said, well, I don't, before she even saw the brand work, she said, well, I don't want you to be the person who tells the CEO his baby is ugly. And I'm like, that's not yeah. my job. My job is not to say your baby is ugly. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. My job is not to say that's a pig. So let's stick, stick some lipstick on it. My job is to say that bacon is delicious to find yeah. the thing that makes you interesting. So it's not about, Hey, everybody hates working here. It's to say, ignoring all that, what's the thing that people do love and how do we connect it and tell a structured strategic story that positions you properly? Yes. It's a, it's a fine line. It's an absolutely fine line. It, it, I mean, it is a good, there is a good point in there, though, that it, it is harder to do this from the inside than it is from the outside. It's easy for me to bowl in and do this because I don't work there. And, and that's, yeah. that's, that's always kind of the challenge. The, I think the other thing that, the, the other advantage I have as an external consultant versus the in-house person is I can say, oh, well, when I did this for London Business School and when I did this for so-and-so and when I did this for so-and-so, you might only have one or two of those stories if you've done, sure. you know, you, you'd have quite a lot if you'd done it at two previous places. So that's where the outside consultant does have an advantage is yeah. sometimes that's the bit that convinces the CEO is a, a thing that they have heard of and are impressed with has also that, done this. Oh, okay, I should yeah. be doing this too. Yeah. yeah, that's why they generally hire consultants is outside perspective. Yeah. To see the Completely. thing that they can't see, to, to, to identify the blind spot that's standing right in front of them, they, that they and everybody else they pay is effectively paid to not see more often than not. Indeed. But I right. think it kind of it brings you towards another kind of like related thing, which is if you are going to use a stat or a business case with these kinds of people, where do you go? And what I've always advised clients is, you know, and so maybe you're may moving down slightly into the next tier of like the ops board and that kind of thing. Perfect segue. Use, use things that they are impressed with. Don't use things that our world is impressed with. So mm -hmm. don't give them stats from an HR publication. Don't give them stats from an HR website. Don't give them stats from your employer branding agency says, you know, you'll see mm -hmm. this. They don't believe those people. 
You need to give them the Harvard Business Review. You need to give them a thing that they already believe in, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal. You need to be looking around for what are the credible points that they will trust and use their evidence, their stat. Actually, a business guru saying this is a good idea is far more convincing to them than any number of your professional development materials that you've been diligently learning. And it's not because your stuff is wrong. It's just that your stuff doesn't come from a voice that they believe in or that they've even heard of necessarily sometimes. And I think that's where you have to choose quite carefully. Who am I going to quote here? If I am going to draw on an authority from over here, who's someone that my audience believes, not just the one that I've been using in my slide deck? Yeah, you know, and much though I would love your CEO to believe thirty three as an authority on this, they don't. They don't know who we are. So <laughs> no, they don't. I would rather yeah. we quote. Yeah, I, I'd rather we yeah. quoted someone they've heard of and they do trust. McKinsey yeah. will work better with him than us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Glassdoor, and I don't know if you, how much experience you know the UK has with Glassdoor and how much they have a really deep, painful love and hate relationship with them. But I am convinced that Glassdoor's five to seven years of profit can be reflected in a single quote. I think it was Mark Benioff of Salesforce said, when he said, when we buy, when we consider buying companies, one of the factors is your Glassdoor score. We check it out. And yeah. I think that, I mean, they, they ran roughshod with that. They went, they posted that on Billboard. They went everywhere with that because it was, it was credibility at a level of Salesforce. Salesforce said this thing and they are buying companies. And if you want to be a bought company, you got to think about this. And that sets up credibility oh, yeah, across yeah. the board. No, completely. And again, it's it's a thing that the CEO now cares about because it's not something fluffy about recruitment targets that they kind of want to be good, but they don't think about it. This is now, oh, this is now influencing the share price. Hello. Yes, I'm interested. This is this is something that I, I can now. I, I think the other thing you can dangle out in front of senior people as well is the thing that happens at the end that they might enjoy doing. Of course, at the end of this project, we'll need to you know put you front and center on the website. Depends on the kind of personality you're dealing with, but that, yes. yeah, that might well be part of the answer, particularly, yeah. you know, if it's a founder in the business is there's some of that and you can get them interested by talking about here's what we will be doing with you later on if we're really going to make this thing happen. Um, and that might well be part of the answer for, for many of you is, is how are you going to leverage that person in your business that people outside your business have heard of? Okay. Yeah. Let's ask them, how do you think we should be using you better? <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a great opportunity for me to whip out my five rules when talking to anybody at the executive level and above. They only care about five things, making money, saving money, extending the brand, not getting sued, stroking their ego. End of list. We are done. That's <laughs> end of the lesson. Uh, if you can't connect what you're doing to yeah, yeah. one of or more of those five things, shut up. You are, yeah. Wah, yeah. You're, the, you're the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 that nobody hears anything. They don't know what's going on. Making money, saving money, extending the brand, or slash getting more customers. That's, you know, fuzzy. Yeah. Don't get us sued. Reduce risk. Stroke my ego. Everything else is, is worthless. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I think the, the other way I sometimes look at it is, you know, the, the, the two best ways to get to a decision maker is either give them something they can show off about to their professional peers or even mm -hmm. better, something they'll show off about to their own family and friends. And that that's kind of like, oh, I'm in the video. I've done a podcast. Yeah. Oh, hang on, wait, that's us. Um, but, you know, give, giving them something that they can kind of feel like, okay, there's there's something I personally kind of ha like this idea. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, they're not normally actually that difficult an audience. Sometimes it's the gatekeepers to them who yes. can be more difficult to get past. And that's where you're now in the realm of... The, the tier below that, so the people who run whatever business you're working for, and they might be called the management team, they might be called the partnership, they might be called, you know, the opco. Every business has got a different phraseology for this bunch of Why? People. Why? That's this is yeah. a conversation. I, I don't understand that. Although this is a really good opportunity to say, if you are a CEO or know a CEO and has a question about this, go to thebrandplan.show. See how I did that? That was nice. That was like slick. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And click the little microphone button and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Ask us a question. Maybe we'll use it on the show. Have you ever walked through an art museum and asked yourself, how come this bunch of squiggles is worth millions? Or how come this Georgia O'Keeffe painting is so magnetic? These artists had the same paint, the same brushes, and the same canvases as everyone else. So why are these paintings so compelling? 
It's easy to say that these artists were more creative than others, mostly because creativity is misunderstood. So what is the root of creativity? Stay tuned to find out. All right, let's take it down a notch from exec team to, what are we talking, senior vice presidents, vice presidents of HR, marketing, finance. So you've now, you've now got a bunch of people who are both in the position of being customers for this thing, mm-hmm. but also who you might need things from in order to do this thing. So if I'm the director of engineering at this firm, I'm looking at it going, right, I need to hire some engineers. Okay, so this thing looks like it might be helpful to me. But I'm also going, are you going to want some engineers generating social content and doing things that aren't engineering? Are you going to want to steal my staff's time in order to do this? What's the real cost? Yeah. Exactly. But they're not talking about the money cost because it's not their budget, right, normally. This is normally like, what staff time are you asking for? And what will I get in benefit in return, either in retention of the people I've got that I like, or in recruitment of more people like them? What's what's the kind of, what's the trade-off here? And I think with this group, you you quite often get them, you know, you might have people who are antagonistic, but it's more likely you get people who just kind of disinterest and go, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not sure this is really relevant to me. I'm not convinced. And they, they might just be kind of, you know, yeah, whatever, fine. What's the next presentation procurement? And, and they're not like, they're not engaging with it at all. So with that audience, you have to kind of convince them that this is something that is kind of relevant to them. Is, is this an oh, audience yeah. where the conversation around candidate quality increasing yeah. is most impactful? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. Quality is the thing that I care about because these salaries aren't coming out of my pocket. They, they might be coming out of my div- divisional budget, but I'm more interested in how good's my team. That's the thing yes. that gets me really excited. So if you say, right, this is the difference between us hiring competent people and hiring the best people. Okay, now I'm interested. Whether I'm, you know, thinking about accountants or engineers or my production line or the idea of hiring people who are better at the jobs is something I can definitely be interested in. Um, And I think this is also the group where you can start talking about how doing this well will save time and admin. And often I find this is the most compelling thing for them is if we get better at this, we will be able to hire faster and your line managers will spend less time in recruitment processes. Because we're hiring the right people, they will stay for longer and they'll be more effective while they're here. And that means your even more valuable people, the senior people, are not spending their time doing recruitment. And they don't want to be spending their time doing recruitment. The vast majority of them. There's a few of them enjoy recruitment and I like them very much, but an awful lot of managers and leaders don't like doing recruitment it's like this is a chore yeah if you say we can reduce how much you're going to have to do that that's attractive there's always one engineer in every engineering team who kind of loves interviewing a little too much and they seem to be in every interview loop and you just want to say (laughs) maybe you are not the perfect kind of like model for what we're (laughs) trying to do i I think the, the interesting thing for this audience is that one thing I feel like it's not, we don't do a good job unpacking or, or talking about either on the recruiting side or the employer branding, or the recruitment marketing side, whatever, is this idea that recruiting is inherently unpredictable. Is it going yeah. to take you 20 minutes or 20 weeks to fill that role? Now, in the right. recruiting world, that's just assumed. Of course, how could you possibly know? Yeah. It's impossible. These are the, 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 you can't, you simply can't especially on engineering or sales or other operational roles like that, they get so crazy about the lack of predictability of talent. Look, I know in five weeks, some, someone's going to leave. I need to fill that seat. How can I, can we fill that seat in five weeks? We don't know. And it makes them crazy. It makes them nuts. So I think anything that shows a stronger brand connects to better predictability of talent and you can, talk about in terms of pipeline, talk about in terms of stronger brand attracts better candidates. There's all sorts of ways to kind of frame it. But I think the simple idea of an increased level of predictability in your most unpredictable sector is really telling. Like you think about your sales teams and how they, you know, are they're all told, okay, based on your sales force, we know you're going to sell this much per quarter. And they predict that. And what's your percentage of likelihood? They do everything they can to manage risk and manage predictability. Yes. Showing that recruiting can think that way too makes it an incredibly compelling yes. message. 
Absolutely. And I think one way you can lose credibility is if you try and tell them that it is predictable. And, and back to that point about if you use an incredibly specific number and say, ah, if we do this, it's going to reduce our time for hire by 11.2%. Yeah. They're all sitting, they might nod and smile, but they're all sitting there going, you don't know what you're doing, no. do you? Because no. no. it won't be 11.2%. It might be 20, it might be five. That will be different to every single organization. And if you try and be too assertive about it'll be exactly this, they will smell a rat. And they're right to, because you can't guarantee that it will be that number. We can say- It's not a magic wand. Yeah, exactly. On average, it does that. But, you know, I, I've talked to clients about this before when they go, you know, what's the ROI on this? And I said, well, it depends how badly you're doing it now. If you're doing yeah. it really badly, then the ROI is fantastic. If you're already doing it quite well, then the ROI is going to be much more subtle because, you know, it's improving something rather than revolutionizing it. But you, I think you, if you over, if you try and oversell here, you can go really badly wrong. Um, I think I remember years ago doing one with a, an accountancy firm's ops board. And one of the things they got most interested in was actually just me showing them how things are now and actually saying to them, right, so right that now. That is always a game changer. Always this a game changer. This is what like, one of your job apps says. Companies this don't, is don't what your know what they're doing. Apps. Yeah, exactly. it's amazing. And they haven't looked at that for 20 years, 30 years. And I said, this is, this is what actually happens now when a candidate applies. And it's all right, but it doesn't say anything consistent at all. I, I can go all the way through that journey at the end of it. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about you. I think we can do a better job than that. And they looked at it and went, yeah, we think we can do a better job than that. Fine, cool, go do that. And, and that was the bit that convinced them more than any stats, more than any flow chart of how many people would be in a focus group or how many people would be in a survey. It was just, there is a problem. Do we all agree that's a problem? Yes, brilliant. Okay, we're gonna fix that problem. Yeah. And that was the bit that they needed to buy into. Um, and that was the most persuasive way of, of showing it to them. I can believe it. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of told a lot of employer branders that when you start a job in the back of your mind, one of your most important projects is documenting existing processes because you don't yeah, yeah. know where you can make changes and where you can hang your hat and where you can kind of make an impact if no one knows what the map looks like. And chances are just being the person who goes, here's the map. You, you live it, but you don't see it. Here's the map. And everybody goes, why do we do those two things? Like you suddenly realize there's, there, it's rife with imperfections, with inefficiencies, with sloppy workmanship, chances for stuff to fall through. And the second you do that, you build credibility with the kind of leadership and operations leadership who's looking to say, this is such a mess. Why is it always such a mess? We can't seem to get our head around it. And there you are saying, let me show you what is so we can find a way to make change. You can even do some mystery shopping here. Try, ringing, try going through your own recruitment process. Ring one of your own recruiters and see what they actually say. If you say, look, I'm vaguely interested in working for your company. What's it like? And see what they say in response. And, you know, they might be trying really hard but not saying the right things because no one's given them the right guidance. Or, yeah. you know, now try doing it with your external recruiters as well. See what they're saying. And, you know, start to look at, look, this is what's actually going on. There's an awful lot of organisations don't really know what's actually happening right now because no one's ever done that piece of work. And it's time consuming, and it's, but it is worth doing because therein is quite often the best rationale for this is why we should do something is this is just messy, isn't it? This could yeah. clearly be better. Yeah. So let's bring so, it down one more notch. We're looking at head of recruiting-ish, senior director or director -ish. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether we're even bringing it down. I think we're zooming in on two particular things and I think we I should like zoom in on senior HR people and senior marketing people yes. are the two bunches that you need to engage with and you might well be reporting into one of those. In some of the organizations I work with, employer brand isn't in HR, it's in marketing. In some places it's within a subdivision of HR. In some places talent is separate from HR and is its own thick beast as well. So the exact layout of this is gonna vary from organization to organization. But I think you need to know, how am I gonna to speak to people whose primary concern is people? And how am I gonna to speak to people whose primary concern is marketing and brand? Yes, yes. Because you can't use the same answer with both. Where, where do you wanna start, James? <laughs> I, I, I think it's, I mean, I, my math says that in the US especially, 
60 to 70 percent of employer branding lives in the TA function. You and, and, and in talking to you, I know that you equate TA and HR a lot. I wonder if that's a, a geographic thing. To me, in the U.S., it feels like yes, they live under HR, but they're you know they're, they don't very you know, different they're, they're, types of people. They are so different people. They're such different functions. It's under the umbrella of HR, but they are their own thing, right? I think yeah. you guys were doing TA before it came over to the we we copied you okay. on this one so i think you've been doing it that way for long but yeah that's the case in an awful lot of organizations in the uk as well yeah, yeah i'm technically within the hr division but we're quite separate and actually we exactly. do our own thing and we hire different people and none of us are cipd qualified which is the uk hr qualification yeah i mean so but i think they are two populations that you need to understand yeah, and very few of you are coming from those populations. Very few yeah. of you are coming from marketing. Very few of you are coming from HR. Exactly to yeah. that point, you're coming from a talent acquisition mindset. Yeah, totally. And that, so, if if sixty percent of companies are putting employer brand in the space of TA, that means about thirty percent are putting them in the space of marketing, leaving ten percent for internal comms and other sundry kind of outlier. Place. Okay. So actually, so let's start with the big one. Let's start with the THR side. How do you yeah. approach the head of recruiting, the vice director of recruiting or talent acquisition, wherever that may live in your particular, you know, hierarchy? What's the thing that they're going to look to employer brand to do first? Like what's the most impactful step? So if you're talking to a really senior HR person, I've found the thing they're most interested in is this is going to give us a definition everybody agrees on of what the employee experience is supposed to be. That then is going to help you set an HR plan, isn't it? Because at the moment, you've got lots of people who report into you all doing good things. There's some people doing some good things over here with training and development, some people doing some good things over here with rewards, some people doing some good things over here with inclusion. There's some people doing some good things over here with internal comms. That might be in your division. It might not be. But they're all doing good things. But actually, if we've agreed this definition of who we are as an employer, you can now use this as a yardstick for HR. You can use this to work out what should we be doing? Should we be focusing on internal mobility? Or should we be focusing on you know, increasing someone's utilization? Or should we be focusing on speed to optimization? Or all these things that could be priorities for HR. This project, kind of almost by accident, is going to help define that experience, or, or sometimes actively by design. That's what it sets out to do as explicitly as part of it. And that, I think, is more interesting to HR, because now we've got, like, you can tie an awful lot of things to it. You can go, yeah, the staff survey that we do every year, and we're not quite sure why, and we don't know quite what to do with the results. Well, hang on, if we promised everyone A, B, C, and D, we now know that the staff survey should be measuring A, B, C, and D. Exactly. And if A is low, we know that we need to do something about A. And if C is great, then we know we need to pat the team who runs C on the back. But we, we actually have an objective mm -hmm. set of things to start focusing on that are specific to us and our business plan, rather than just good business practice generally. Yeah. So that, with senior HR people, I find is very often where they get really interested in this conversation. So CHRO or the people partner in partnership environments, this is like, oh, great, actually this defines this employee experience thing. Mm -hmm. Great. And yeah, yeah, sure, you can do some advertising with it, that's fine. But but that's yeah. not the bit they get excited no, about. No, they don't. The bit they yeah. get excited about is, I will now have a definition of what we should, what we are trying to be as an employer. Yeah, right. it's the yardstick. The it's... I'm trying to use the values. <laughs> yeah, and the values are always so vague and hard to kind of say, do we live by them? Yeah. I don't know. How does one measure them? Well, how do you talk about them? How much do other people yeah. talk about it? It's, it's a way of applying a, a layer of ac action and measurability action on top of some yeah. very, very vague ideas. And to your point, it's this connection between internal mobility and engagement and learning and development and onboarding and, and, and like all the things that kind of percolate under the surface to create this idea of what's the employee experience, which every company defines and, and works on differently. So it does create that kind of focus point. So I've got a question for you, actually, because I think this this has changed in the last 10 years I've been doing this in the UK in that 10 years ago we probably talked a lot about employee engagement and now we don't so much employee experience is kind of more of an interesting phrase for people how's that in it, it, your side of the the, the the pond as it were 
Yeah. Is engagement still a big thing or has that fallen away a bit there as well? It's a little fuzzier. I think, you know, you look at the the big publications, the MIT Sloan, the Harvard Business Review, they do look at employee engagement as a thing to measure. There's a, there's a yeah. number, there's a score. Yeah. And the employee experience is the sum total of all the things you're yeah. doing, how it results in the score, how are you measuring these things, where are the gaps, you know, thinking about onboarding very, very, very specifically, thinking about the exit interview in a very, very specific way, yeah. right? The day-to-day, you know, how often do you have the CEO talk to all staff? How often do you, you know, reward things, you know, if you're going to make people have the values button on the thing, how often do you do that? How do you show that? How do you have all that stuff is kind of in this big bundle called employee experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, that, that's kind of similar to what I've seen in Europe as well. I think the, the, the employee engagement was a brilliant sort of branding idea to get everyone interested in, oh, we should care about how people feel about their jobs and how we, how much they understand their jobs. The problem is everyone had their own definition of it and it oh, got a bit God. messy and nefarious and trying to understand what levers you pull over here to make that score up over there proved to be actually quite difficult. And I think employee experience is a kind of more useful idea for actually doing things, for actually kind of like moving that number. It's, a, it's an easier thing to get your head around and go, what is our employee experience? Could we define it? Do we know what we're trying to be? What do we think it should be? Where are we succeeding? Where are we not succeeding? It's a more helpful idea for actually driving actions, I think. And I've been in these rooms where executives who have been using the exact same engagement score over and over, whether it's quarterly or monthly or whatever it is, and every time they get a pile of results, all they think their job is to do is to pick apart what those things mean so it's not on them. Yeah. Right. It's such a deflection project. Well, it says here, do you think your your leadership cares about you? The score is two out of four thousand. Uh, does that mean their boss? Does that mean the CEO? Does that you know what we need to do? We need to add another question to the engagement survey to find out what they thought about the last engagement story. Right. And then you're just like, why, why, why? If if you use an off the shelf engagement survey, always the problem is is the terminology won't be quite right for your no. business. So I, I can certainly remember at a previous employer when I got a thing saying, you know, do you understand your organization's mission or something like that? And I turned around to my boss and I said, well, which one? Ours, yeah. our divisions, the whole PLCs? Yeah. Wh- which one are we talking about there? Because my answer is kind of yes, kind of a no as we go up that scale. So I would have completely different answers depending on which one it means. And of course, they didn't mean any of those. They bought a survey off the off the shelf and sent it out to all the staff. Yeah, because that's what which everybody was does. a bit silly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, what it does allow you to do is then you've got some benchmarks, and I go, great. What are you doing with those benchmarks? Hiding from you them see as the results, much as possible. What, exactly. So it's not terribly helpful to have the benchmarks. The internal benchmarks are incredibly helpful when you when you're looking at that kind of data. Is to go, oh. This, this division is much happier than that division, or this country is much more this than that country. That's often far more helpful because then you've controlled for all the other variables. It's all happening within your organization. Yeah. But knowing that a random benchmark score is different is not that helpful. So yeah, to me, the, I think the most, the most important part of an engagement score is how many people filled out the form. Yeah. That to me is like, the, you, want, you want a litmus test? There it is. You have 57% filling it out, guess what? Yeah. You have problems. You have 98% people. Look, you got problems like everybody's got problems, but these are good problems to solve and you have the means and tools by which to kind of approach them. And that's the good thing. What makes one artist more creative is their focus on saying something meaningful, something true that we all instinctively feel but never saw. Artists start with an insight. When you ask better questions and look deeper, you create better insight. And it's insight that leads to more creative thinking, the kind that moves people. If you'd like to learn more about an employer brand agency that knows how to use insight to produce creative work that truly moves people, check out the award-winning agency, 33. Completely. I think the other thing I'd throw into the mix for when you're talking to HR people is to talk about where is the bump between TA and HR? Yes. In every organization, that's different. It might be immediately after you've sent someone their offer letter. It might mm-hmm. be when they walk in on day one. It might be later than that if it's something like a grand scheme. Sometimes you've got a team handling all the way through into like 30 days in or something like that. Mm-hmm. You need to, there's a transition point. 
when yes. you are going to pass someone from talent acquisition into HR and making that smoother is a good thing yeah. and saying, okay, this thing that we created to attract talent, the onboarding pack clearly should be talking about the same things, yeah. but that might be being handled in a completely different bit of the org chart. Okay, we should make friends with them. We should bottom that out early on in one of these projects and go, hey, good news, we're going to do this thing. It's going to benefit you. Or perhaps even go to them and say, have you got some budget that we could put towards this and then we can do it better? Because actually this is going to benefit you as well. And, and sometimes you can find a bit more budget if you engage with those teams. So it is worth thinking through, you know, who are the particular parts of HR who have a vested interest in this and actually might be able to help you or, or give you some money towards doing it properly. Yeah, and if you map it, if you understand the big picture and the steps and all the pieces to it, it's amazing yeah. how often one small change. When I say change, I don't mean now this team parachutes in and does a thing. I mean flipping the orders of things makes all the difference. Yeah. Uh, my friend Dina over at, formerly at Blizzard, um, she tells this story about how onboarding meetings were an all-day process, right? You know, it's a, Blizzard's a big company, right? Here's the ways we do things. And the lawyers would show up about halfway through to scare the bejesus at everybody. This is all the ways you're going to get fired. Yes. These are all the ways you're going to, you know, lawyer yeah. stuff, right? That's their job. Hey, don't reveal privileged information. You can't say anything Completely. two weeks before the stock, you know, price went out or whatever, all that stuff. And then what they were doing, what the problem was, is they were having the, hey, tell everybody on LinkedIn what a great place we are to work. Go on Glassdoor. They were having that conversation immediately yeah. before the lawyers came Maybe in and slammed the door on everything. <laughs> all they had to do was, and all they did was flip the order and suddenly you're like, okay, now you're scared. We get that. Here's what you're allowed to do. And actually having that kind of lawyer fear driving thing actually, and, you know, set the stage to make that conversation way more impactful. So when we talk about mapping and making changes, they're not, hey, give me a hundred thousand dollar changes necessarily. They can be. They are very nice. often just Look at this through the lens of a candidate and what they're absorbing and when. Complete, yeah, when is a really important one. It can be a timing change. We, we've done a massive project recently um, with a company called Edwards where we've been looking exactly like this onboarding thing. What does someone need before day one? What does someone need on day one? What they actually, What is actually a terrible thing to tell them on day one because they've got so much to absorb, they're going to forget that really important yeah. bit of information. For goodness sake, don't give it to them on day one. Give it to them on about day six when they found their bearing. That's when they need that bit of information. Exactly. So you know, there, there is a tendency to for each part of the business that needs to tell new joiners something to only think about their piece of the puzzle and go, oh, I need to tell them that. And it's like you need to stop and slow down somehow as a, as a, as a group of people and go, okay, that's all the stuff you need to tell them. When do they need to hear it? Actually, when is the right time to do it? What's yes. the right format? Some things are best written down. Some things are best out loud. If it's something motivational, by all means, come and tell me it. If it's something you need me to be able to remember in two weeks' time, give me it in writing, please, and put it somewhere on the internet so that when I've lost the piece of paper, I can go and find it again. You know, and it's thinking through all that kind of stuff. Um, but again, you know, back to the point of it. it's got to link back to whatever you're saying in the employer brand. If you yes. said in the employer brand, there's amazing internal mobility here. It's one of the things you're going to love the most about being here. On day one, you kind of want to make sure that at least some point you've told them about the internal mobility portal or that they've heard from someone who says, gosh, I started in marketing and now I work in sales or, you know, you need someone to just remind them of that thing on day one. And it's not very difficult to do, mm, no. but it very often doesn't happen. But I, I think it gets to that idea, that transition from TA to HR, how do you avoid the bait and switch mentality? What did we sell you Completely. and what are we delivering you? And that's, those are, exactly. and very often those two teams, while being in HR, do not talk to each other very often at <laughs> all. Yeah, it depends. It, it, so it depends on the roles of, so sometimes that's the role of the HR business partner, right? Is, mm -hmm. is sat there doing a bit of that kind of, and that can work really well, but it depends on how good those people are and where they've been hired from and, and indeed how well they understand the bits of HR and TA and, you know, but you get some brilliant HR business partners who are brilliant at doing that thing and looking at it from that point of view. If your organization isn't set up those that way, someone's going to need to take that sort of role of, okay, how do we balance off all these things that we want to do to someone yeah. and how do we look at it from their side and make it a good experience <laughs> all right let's 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 
yeah, we're now getting into HR bashing territory, which is much fun as I like to do that. Uh, and I'm a known lot for of that. My best friends are HR people. Uh, it, yeah. You know, I, I, when they're great, they're amazing. And when they're not, they just, yeah. they make me tear my hair out what a little I have left. Let's move over to the marketing side of things. What is the yes. first conversation you need to have with the lead marketer? Maybe not the CMO per se, but certainly head of brand, head of marketing, somebody at that level. So I think at various points, you need to have a really mature conversation with them about how brand hierarchies are going to work. And yes. you also need to stop and see the world from their point of view. So some of you work for consumer brands. They, they, they spend all of their time obsessing over users and how they're going to get more of them. And that's their way, their way of looking at the world. Some of you don't, some of you work for B2B brands and actually that's less of a thing there. And it might be more about stakeholder management and comms and like it'd be a much more kind of controlled legalistic kind of mindset in marketing. But you, you need to understand who, what do they have to do every day? What are they measured on and how do they look at the world? okay, now what are going to be their thoughts and fears about this? And, and you want to do two things when you engage with them. Firstly, you want to allay the fears that you've worked out that they've got. And secondly, if you can, you want to tell them something that's good news about you doing this project. So that consumer bunch, you want to be able to say to them, the good news is I'm not going to mess up your consumer market marketing. The second bit of good news is I'm going to get you some more eyeballs that you haven't had to pay for. That's good news, isn't it? because I'm going to be all over all these job boards and things like that. So yeah, that's great, isn't it? And, and or, you know, for the B2B bunch, it's about saying, gosh, the great thing about this project for you is that I understand that the kind of people we might hire are also the people who might be our customers. I understand that that Venn diagram is a circle. And the good news is I'm going to make sure that what I do is really close to what you're saying, certainly doesn't conflict with it. And again, it's that good news point of is you get my resources and my team's budget helping you for for free as it were this is this is great news isn't it but you, you i think you really do need to i mean this is generally a good thing for life but you've got to stop look at the world from their point of view think about what they are trying to achieve what you know gets them promoted or what gets them fired and, and go right how do i reassure them that i'm not going to make their life a misery and in fact i might even make it better because they yeah. can be your greatest allies absolutely can be they've got some expertise that you might not have that you really want to be able to go and ask them for help because they, they, they can be fantastically helpful to you when you get into doing things that you might not be expert in. Yeah. Like handling an ad agency. They might, they might have a lot of experience in doing that and actually they can be incredibly helpful to you in understanding, is my ad agency doing a good job here? When they come back with these three concepts, so these three good concepts, there's some people there who can help you with that if you don't have that expertise yourself. But they're also the people who can turn around and say no. And sometimes they can stop you dead. They really can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, to your point, starting with the calm down, I'm not here to mess your life up, is the first conversation. Because they have yeah. every fear. And, and rightly so. Like their yes. brand is their world. And, you know, operations isn't going to tell them how their brand's going to work. And sales isn't going to tell them how their brand's going to work. They own their brand. Capital O W E, right? They own it. O-N-N, O-W-N, whatever. I can't spell it for a podcast. Um, you, really you, get, yeah, you getting in there is absolutely a wrench in the works. It is absolutely a nightmare for them. So showing that you have their concerns in mind first goes a long way to just having the next conversation, which you actually are, can be useful and say, this is how I'm going to reach audiences you don't have. I think the piece of it that's most important is getting them to understand that they have that you share a similar kind of mindset and value set of what you're trying to achieve and that you have ex expertise that they don't have i think the mistake is saying any marketer could be an employer brander and you're like yeah any any marketer could become an employer yeah, brander yeah. but it's not a yeah. one one to one correlation it's not a just flip the switch and you're done like for example i love marketing teams and I talk to their social media teams and I say, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And they, they all they talk about is Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And they treat LinkedIn like yeah. the thing at their bottom of their shoe they got to scrape off before they walk inside, right? It's like, oh yeah, we just take our Facebook and we repost it to LinkedIn. And you're like, yeah. no, 
you have, and, and you can become an expert in this thing that they are supposed to have expertise in, but they really don't because they don't care about it as much. And you can say, Good let me tell you the ins and outs of how LinkedIn works. And these just tiny little things to build that credibility to say, look, I'm a value add, not an obstacle, not a problem, not a thing to be managed. I am a thing that's on your team to help you out. I understand your goals and your values. I am just going to come at it from a different approach, not misaligned, yes. but in a supportive fashion. So one thing I use quite often when I'm engaging with senior marketing people, and sometimes that's literally at the pitch, it'll be the, the CMO is on the pitch. And there's a phrase I sometimes use, which goes down very well with them, which is we're not going to do an employer brand. We're going to do the employment expansion extension of your brand. Ooh. And sometimes that is that is correct. Sometimes. Oh, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> Golf clapping. That is delightful. Just anybody listening, circle that, pause your, talk, pause your workout, pull your car over, write that down. But it, it, it is true. If you're dealing with a, a B2B brand, you're not going to create a separate thing over here that looks yeah. different and has a different color and has you know pictures of donkeys in it. You are going to do the employment extension of the brand because the brand was already optimized for the audience you want to talk to anyway. So yes. you're a law firm, you've done, an, you've done a brand designed to appeal to lawyers, you are going to do the employment extension of that brand, probably. Love it. I can think of one or two exceptions, but very often that's the case. And immediately you can see marketing their shoulders just drop and they go, ah, oh, okay. Because <laughs> now, then you immediately follow that up with, tell me about the brand. Not your brand, the brand. Yes. Tell me all the stuff you need me to know about the brand that I will mm -hmm. be working with. And yep. suddenly they will feel, and it's, you know, you've changed the whole conversation from I am going to do something dangerous over here that you're going to have to rein in to I am going to expand on the thing that you've done. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to get it right. And I want to do something that is that is part of your brand. Yeah, you've, and it will feel much more comfortable about that conversation. That might yeah, not be the case with a consumer world. And, and it can be very different. And, and, and sometimes the relationship is different and you've got the bigger brand. So if we've done some work, for example, with companies that own a bunch of consumer brands and those ah. consumer brands are really big, but recruitment is happening under the parent company name. Yeah. And now suddenly you're you're the person who is actually going to be the most visible bit of their brand because their brand is only really used for shareholders. It doesn't exist for anyone else. No one else has ever seen it. There's a PLC site. And so now suddenly that's a very different conversation because you are saying, I'm going to do something with this brand that you probably spent a lot of energy making and now you're a bit disappointed. You haven't been able to do very much with it because there isn't any need to do anything with it. And now you're coming along and that's a very different thing where you're saying, I'm going to do some stuff with this brand that you know, you've know you lovingly created and then gets used once a year to create a PowerPoint. <laughs> I'm going to do loads of stuff with it. I'm going to get, and that's, that's, a, you know, that's then very attractive to them of, I'm going to leverage this thing and use it. But sometimes genuinely you, you are going to have very different brands from the consumer brand. You know, grad yeah. campaigns often look very different if the brand wasn't designed to appeal to 20-year-olds. Then but, your graduate recruitment stuff is probably going to need to look different. Yeah. But it still exists within the bigger scope of the, you know, to your point, you're trying to not be seen as the barbarian hammering at the gate, but more as the plumber who has a set of skills to make their, their jobs, their work, their lives a little bit easier. Exactly. But as you said, earlier, don't be afraid of asserting your expertise. I'm really good at this bit. I understand this audience. And, and you will have audience that audiences that they haven't thought about. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even if you go back to that law firm example, okay, big overlap between the lawyers we want to hire and the lawyers who might want to hire us. Great, brilliant. All the business services people. It was not optimized for people who work in marketing or HR or any of those other things that you're going to need to hire. You're the expert in those because marketing have never thought about those people because those people don't hire a law firm. So you have some expertise and don't be afraid of saying it, but always start from that point of humility of tell me what you know. Tell me all this brilliant. You know the competitor. You should know the competitor set. Of, of our immediate competitors inside out. Brilliant. Tell me all of that. Tell, tell me all the stuff I need to know that is you have within your knowledge base. And they will tell you some really useful stuff. They can often save you months of research because Absolutely. they already know something. Um, so they often know a lot. And what your job yeah, is yeah. to take their research, their data, their approach and say, this is amazing. And you just go, 
tweak it just a little bit. You put it at the right angle and you say, now it becomes this brand new thing that I'm going to help build. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, don't be afraid to ask a direct question. What, what are you oh, no. scared about my project doing? What, tell me what your fear is so that I can avoid making it real. And don't, don't be scared to ask them that question and, and get it out there. But there'll be, stuff, there'll be stuff later on where they can help you. So, you know, at some point you're going to need some images to put in all of your ads and videos and stuff. They've probably got an image library. Or, you know, even if you're going to get a photo shoot done, they might already have a relationship with a photographer who has all the passes to get onto your sites. You know, it, it, there, are, there are people they know who can help you with bits of getting this done. They have people who can help you get things done. And then I think the other thing is, when you actually get into deployment, you are sometimes gonna to have to have this arm wrestle about who owns what. And for some of you, that's easy because the consumer stuff happens on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram. And so LinkedIn can be a entirely recruitment channel. And some of you, that's not true. You're, you're doing your marketing on, on LinkedIn okay, you're going to have to have an arm wrestle and it's not going to be fun and you're going to have to find a nice way of playing together because you both need that channel. You absolutely and you'll do. have to find a way of coexisting. <laughs> I am I am stunned by the number of companies who, from the consumer side, they there's no value on being LinkedIn, but yeah. they, own, they hold it because for yes. fear that someone else is going to muck up their brand. And that's the conversation. <laughs> this is a value add. This is a value add. Okay. So this has been like a master class on how to for lack of a better word, sell employer brand internally, how to get your bosses, your bosses, bosses, your bosses, 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 boss to say, wow, you're amazing. Let's do this thing. Any kind of like end of conversation takeaways, what's one or two things you should be doing immediately to kind of help further this kind of conversation internally? So I would advise you to try, try and make a list of the people who you need on your side. And, and write down what do I want from them? Mm -hmm. uh, what do what what might they want from me, and what might they worry about yeah. from me? And if you write those things down for those different people you're going to need to interact with, that's always a good idea. That yeah. that's very helpful. And you you're just working your empathy muscle, which is good for anyone involved in communication, right? That, that's that's the the heart of good communication is empathy. So. Try and do that as, as fiercely as you can. And don't be afraid to ask other people. Ask your peers at other places. How did you do this? Ask your agency, if you're working with an agency or multiple agencies, ask them. They've done this loads of times. Ask them how would they engage with particular audiences. And sometimes they can they can give you some useful advice there. Um, so, you know, don't feel like you have to solve all of this yourself. And of course, you know, there are some excellent books available which can advise you on how to do this. I, I believe there's some by a gentleman called James Ellis. But you know, heard do go and guy. seek out some other people's opinions. Yeah. But always look at it for your own organization, for the people who you know. And if you don't know them, see if you can find someone who does know them. What's the CMO like? What do they, what gets them excited? You know, and so you can understand, right, what's, what's their attitude likely to be? How can I plan for it? How can I think about how to make them happy that I'm doing this thing rather than scared that I'm doing this thing. How about yourself? What would you give people as a as a, a, an advice? Yeah, so and this is gonna go to either people in-house or yep. the person in-house desperate to get employer branding help from a consultant or an agency, right? Your yeah. job to help sell the idea internally is, look, Marcus is super smart and I'm stealing that line about extending the consumer brand. Don't, don't, don't think I'm not. Do I not think I'm not. I stole it from someone. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, send them, send them a tenor. Let them know. Um, really, it's about if you're inside, the thing you have that a consultant on the outside does not have is time, right? A consultant has a very short window to get this done as fast as humanly possible. We don't have to get in the incentives of where that comes from or, or the potential value of that. Internally, yeah. your conversation with the head of marketing can go on for three months, once every three yeah. or four weeks, just kind of having this conversation. It's like settling into a hot bath. You don't want to dive right in. You let them get used to you. You get used to them. You learn about them. You build that rapport and that relationship so that when you do bring in the big ask, they go, I get what this person's about. I get what they're trying to achieve. I get how these things align. It's not about yes or no. It's about how. What is the shape and scope yes. in which this makes sense? Yeah, don't ambush them with an approval. 
sign no. this off, please. Who are you? What is this thing? No, you, you did, yeah. like you've just raised their hackles completely. I think you that's such a good bit of advice. Is you know, make friends with them long before you need them to do anything, so that exactly. when you do, they already know you. Yeah, yeah, totally fantastic. Well. Excellent advice cool. all around. Uh, honestly, I, I'm not kidding. This is a masterclass. I, they, I don't know how we're going to label this and how we're going to title this, but I hope everybody who got through all 50-some minutes of this thing goes, that was amazing because this one was a killer conversation. This is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we, we identified this early on as something that actually loads of people want help with. And, you know, the, we, we've got the advantage that we've done it many, many times. If you're doing it for the first time, Take a deep breath and think it through and, and ask other people, how, how did you do it? How would you do it? And totally. you, know, you, you can always find a way to get it done. Cool. All right. Well, until next week, check us out on thebrandplan.show. Leave us a message, leave us a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word. 